0: everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week, as promised, is a big one. We get to hear from Romeo Void lead singer, Deborah Ayall. Now, I have been trying to get Deborah on here forever, and it finally worked out because they, on Record Store Day, so on the 22nd, Romeo Void is releasing a new live album. It's called Live from Mabuhay Gardens, November 14th, 1980. You might remember last year when we had Bill Kopp on here. Uh, to talk about that book he wrote, Disturbing the Peace, about the history of 415 Records, which is where M- Romeo Boyd started, um, Mabuhe Gardens is like a major character just about in this book because that's, that was kind of the landing spot or the focal point for a lot of those San Francisco bands. Well, this particular concert that's re- that's being released was recorded before they had hits, like this one right here, Never Say Never, and A Girl in Trouble is a Temporary Thing and everything. So these are like the early, really more punky days of Romeo Void before they started to get big commercially. Deborah's story is fascinating because, number one, she talks very lovingly about her time in music, and then she gave it up, basically, They put out, what, I think three albums as Romeo Void, then she put out a solo album in 1985 called Strange Language, and then that was basically it. And she kind of quit. She went on to be an art teacher in New Mexico, and she just recently retired from doing that as well after many years of noble service. And so she's been doing what she wants ever since. She's a true artist in like every way. So this conversation is really fascinating too because I was trying to avoid this topic, but it came up anyway. And I'm sort of glad it did because, so she was a big girl and that she got a lot of flack for that. the The music industry did not know what to do with someone of her size back then, which is ridiculous because she was so talented and these days she would be a major, major star. She talks very openly about it. What I love most about her is that she just owns it. She does not care. She is not feeling weird about it. And it's everyone else besides her who feels weird about it. Anyway, she's a very empowering, wonderful, creative, artistic person. I'm really glad she talked to me. She called me from her home in Raton, New Mexico. Hi, Deborah.
1: Hi, I'm waiting to see your picture. Oh. I can hear your voice. Thanks for doing this. Oh, yeah. I was happy to go and see how many amazing podcasts you have. I'm really missing out on a lot of this music talk because <laughs> now that I'm doing promotion for this live album, it's amazing how many podcasts there are.
0: Yeah, I know. It, it makes me a little sad because we've been going for about eight years and even then there were a lot of podcasts and now there's like a million more podcasts than there were then, you know, but, and you've been a dream guest of mine for a while. I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but I'm excited because I've been wanting you to, I've been wanting you on here for a long time. Um, well, here I, I am. Well, good. We're doing it now. I always hear the name Deborah. It's not Deborah. And do you it, correct? Okay, I have, did that. You did that you on know, purpose. Because,
1: yeah, because I didn't. I grew up um, as Debbie, mm-hmm. and then when I was eighteen, I had gotten in a car accident a few years early, and so I had some money that I could use for a trip, and I went to Europe. And everyone in Europe was like, Debbie? And they're like, no, 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 that's juvenile. You're Deborah, Deborah. And so I got used to Deborah, Deborah, Deborah. (laughs) And then I came back to America and I applied for a new job in a new town. And the night before I was hanging out with this poet and um, I said, I really don't like the sound of Deborah. She goes, well, why don't you use the Hebrew enunciation, which is Deborah? I said, oh, I like the sound of that.
0: Problems. so I oh. went in the
1: next day and introduced myself as Deborah I was like you know when I was
0: 18 so oh I've always wondered I've never known yeah. anyone else besides you that pronounces it that way
1: when it's spelled the Hebrew way they frequently leave off the H uh, so I did that too because then it's more phonetic yeah otherwise people want to say Deborah
0: yeah yeah uh, of course that's what we know Oh, I'm so glad to know that. I've Anyway, always wondered. now
1: everybody calls has been calling me D for
0: a long really? time. Okay. Yeah,
1: all my friends just call me D, but. I,
0: I will admit I have a tendency to shorten people's names, whether I know them well or not. And so I may, Deb may slip out or D uh, probably. And I mean no disrespect. I hope that's okay. It's kind of a no, habit. I, I
1: do prefer D though over Deb. D,
0: okay, but okay. That's Okay. Okay, I will try to make a mental note. So here's what you got signed up for. As you mentioned, uh, we've been going for about eight years now. I've talked to hundreds of my favorite artists. We just love to hear fun stories, find out what they're up to now, which is obviously what we're gonna talk about. And if I ask you anything that you don't wanna talk about, I'm not really that kind of an interviewer, but if I stumble on something unknowingly, just tell me and we'll move along, okay? Okay. Okay.
1: Yes. I'm not too worried because, like, I'm retired from public school teaching now.
0: <laughs> That's right. So you can say whatever you want. <laughs> I kind of can, yeah.
1: Yes. Because
0: yes. um, yeah. I remember
1: thinking, "Oh, I can't m- write my memoirs until after I'm not a teacher anymore." Because <laughs> I want to tell it all. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now the gate's open. It's all. It's time um i'm gonna we're gonna insert snippets of songs we talk about for context so first and foremost i hate to start this way but it's it's a little macabre but i'm gonna do it anyway because getting ready to talk to you i thought i'm gonna re-watch the bands reunited because i was addicted to that show by the way and i remember when it came out the first time and i had it hadn't was seen very it. good it yeah, was I'm and sure. they reunited all those bands like yours were are like the sweet spot of my music interests. And so they were reuniting all these people that I loved. I was obsessed with that show and I hadn't watched it in a while. And so I thought I'll pull it up. I watched it again and I just fell in love with Benjamin. He was the sweetest, such a good soul that felt so, I don't know, like a repentant or something that he was like, I just loved his spirit. And then after I watch it, I see that he has passed away. I didn't know this. He just passed away a couple of months ago. In December, yeah. Oh, it's still very raw for me. So, oh. I mean, I'm getting choked up. To talk I can tell. About it. It, I mean, it, I didn't even know the guy, and I felt his spirit so strongly in that show that I thought, yeah. I want to talk to him. He seems like the loveliest man, and yet he's gone. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: so he knew he had Alzheimer's for a few years before, and he had taken care of pretty much both of his parents, they both had early onset, but especially his mom, I think he took care of her for at least like a dozen years.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And so when he was diagnosed with it, you know, he called me to let me know because we kept in touch, but it's kind of, you know, where lives are very separate and had been for a long time, but we kept in touch and, and he called me to let me know, you know, that I don't know when I might not recognize you, or I might not know when, you know, and he had had his driver's license taken away because oh. he had done something on the road that was like, no, you're like, you, you can't. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was a big moment for him of truth. You know, what yeah. was his future? So for a long time, he would keep in contact with me, he would do digital drawings, like on his phone, Uh you know, and he would send them to me and I would respond to what I saw, the marks. I was an art teacher. I have got the language to talk about art. And he, you know, was a very curious person, very interested in the arts, all of them. And once he had tinnitus, he started taking theater classes and was doing vocalizations with just an acoustic guitar because the sound of the saxophone was too loud too yeah. it would do more damage every time he would play it, just from you know what it does to your bones when you make that yeah. large of a sound with a yeah. saxophone so yeah what anyway so we did that for a while and then after a while i I wouldn't even hear from him, you know, oh, no. and uh, I'd reach out and nothing, nothing. And then sometimes people that I knew, you know, like an ex-girlfriend of his kept in touch and, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't live, I haven't lived in the Bay area now since the year 2000. Oh. And actually when I moved away to take a job in 2013, I'm, I knew I was, I mean, I wasn't even in Northern California anymore because I had been in a couple of places in Northern California, Sacramento, and mm-hmm. I'd moved out to the, indian nation and yeah, not going to for a i done a yeah. lot of things anyway when i knew i was leaving california pretty much wouldn't see him much anymore we had a, a lunch together mm. so that was really wonderful and we met at a um, dog park that's on the bay in, near richmond bay in san francisco and we just walked all day and talked to each other oh. and just enjoyed our company and had lunch wow. at you
0: know, and, did he ever I don't know anything about him personally did he ever marry or have kids or have a family or anything like that no okay okay Wow. um
1: I don't think he would mind me sharing that he struggled with his sobriety
0: uh really
1: um but you know I mean the last um, you know dozen years maybe 10 years or long time he's been very involved in recovery groups and yeah in his hometown in Marin County, and he lived in sober living, hmm. you know, and so he was, you know, active in uh, working on it. And,
0: well, it sounds like he did his best to make those last however many years count, and I just thought, yes. what, a, what a great spirit he had, and I mean, you and he, I think, were the were the two sort of secret weapons of that band. And I mean no disrespect to anyone else, but the thing—the things that separate you two and make you special are your voice and your image and his saxophone playing. Kind of is.
1: Absolutely. And he raised us up a whole level yes. of sophistication musically by partly his belief in um, being spontaneous. So when we would write songs, we would be more spontaneous and include you know, ways not to just stick to a formula of any sort of, for songwriting. Mm-hmm. And he really loved interacting with me. And so many times on stage, I felt like, you know, there was just this connection that he was making with how I was feeling in the moment mm-hmm. and how I was vocalizing that. And then he would take it in his solo and really articulate it. Oh, you know, I mean, that awesome. was an incredible way, excuse me, to be understood, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. So Um,
1: it it um, was awesome. I actually sang to him a day before he passed.
0: I've read that somewhere. Maybe it was on your website or something. I read that somewhere. On on Frank.
1: Frank does uh, RomeoWood.com. That's it. And Frank lives near me now. He moved to New Mexico a few years ago. Really? And um, I recently moved here just a year ago. You know, when you retire in California, you have to live somewhere different, you know? Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. I get it. He lives a
1: few hours from here.
0: That's great. Who would have guessed? Um, Okay. So let's talk about the new album. Now, about a year ago, I read this book, Disturbing the Peace, The History of 415, which you are featured in. Bill Quite the author minute, came yeah. yes. Bill the author came on the show and we had a wonderful conversation about it. This is becoming a huge book in my life because I knew the bigger bands. I know you guys obviously and Translator and Red Rockers, all members of all those bands have been on the podcast. But I have I've always had a real fascination with CBGBs and like Eric's and Liverpool and any place where there's a scene and there's a bunch of independent bands all trying to do something special. And a few of them rise to the top. And I didn't really know the full story of San Francisco's indie scene until reading this book. And it was like yeah. opening a time capsule of 30 bands. I never knew who, but I, I love because they sound like the bands I grew up on. You know what I mean? Right, right. Tuxedo
1: moon and the moon. Yes. And yeah, all this stuff. so many.
0: I loved it. So, I wanted to ask because the book really opened up to me what the babuhe, I never know how to say it. Babuhe. Yeah, gardens was and what a central spot that was for people like you. Describe they had music it. seven days a week. That's what I'm learning. And it's I was going to art
1: school, so I was down there probably five days a
0: week. Wow. You know. Wow. Was it just some one of those things where every night it was a local band and you all kind of knew each other and it was a scene and that's where you hung out
1: yes and then some national artists came through there like patty smith and lenny k not the whole band but they showed up at mabuhe and did a little thing and then uh, lena lovich came through with her band Nico came through and toured and played mabuhe gardens Wow. Uh, devo came it was huge i mean everyone was so excited about devo and it was when they had the uh, bougie boy or whatever mm-hmm. he was called, you know, with the mm-hmm. in the baby pin, you know, that yes. whole thing. That was w- the era when Devo came to the Mabuhay Gardens.
0: Wild. How many people would it hold? How big was it?
1: Oh, maybe two hundred and fifty. Really? It was okay. small. It was yeah. basically a nightclub. Yeah. You know, it had had its iteration. You know, in the fifties. And that had these tiny little coffee tables, uh-huh. you know, and they only kept those in the back once they started showing pump because okay. they had to take there. It was up a little, like two stairs or something was like a little mezzanine with still had some tables, but everywhere else they'd taken out all the tables okay. and they had used to serve food, uh-huh. you know, so there was a whole kitchen and everything there and uh-huh. every once in a while, um, the guy who ran it, Dirk Dirksen, would have a night of like, oh, you know, get there at seven or something and eat spaghetti. We would offer food and, mm. you know, people would show up and eat spaghetti. And um, yeah, but it was it was really a great thing also for me to see all the bands that had come before in San Francisco, all the Avengers. Yeah. And um, Crime and just all the bands that came out of San Francisco. Mutants, of course.
0: Yes. Yes. You guys opened for U2. Is that right?
1: Yes. And, of course, Howie is the one from 415 Records who originally put that together, their very first show in San Francisco. So we played a venue, the boarding house, that we had never been invited to play before because we were opening for U2. And that's where they were playing. Mm. And so Howie got us on the bill.
0: Oh, I and, didn't realize um, that didn't happen at the Mabuhay. Okay.
1: Right. You They never played the Mabuhay. They okay. already came to town
0: okay. at the boarding house. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well,
1: Boy was a pretty big record, and I Will Follow was a huge mm-hmm. club hit. And we not only had a great club that had weekly shows, um, which was the I-Beam, mm-hmm. which um, there were DJs. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Robinson. Anyway, he DJ'd there every Monday night for you know ten years, and we would go see whatever was playing there. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. the cramps and
0: oh, nice. I'm imagining like a lot of these other scenes. It's made up of people who, in their regular lives, feel like misfits in some way or another. Yeah, Maybe they're yeah. really artistic or creative, or they're they don't look the same as everyone else, or they want to dress their own way, and they find their tribe. At a place, at a central location, and that's where they thrive. That's where they feel most empowered to be themselves.
1: Absolutely. And plenty of gay musicians and Mm -hmm. club goers, too. It was very mixed scene, Mm -hmm. too, and racially as well. Yeah, You know, the Zeros or Mexicans that Good came up from L.A. and would play Mabuhay or play, you know, the I-Beam or whatever. Yeah, That's
0: wild. So let's talk about the new album. Now, what do you remember or anything about the night the new album was recorded? November 14th, 1980. Do you remember anything about the show or maybe about the shows you were performing at that time?
1: Yeah, this was um, when Benjamin had barely joined the band, like really literally weeks before. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't integrated in all the songs all that well. But, you know, he was up for just, you know, figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is I met him socially first Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, because I was an artist, I still am. Um, I'm like, oh, I have to draw you, you know. And then he started talking, oh, I'm a sax player. And I'm like, oh, wow, well, we have a band. And we've been playing with this other saxophone named Bobby. And the Offs had been playing with Bobby. And then um, Bobby started playing with us. And then after not very long, Bobby and Benjamin switched bands. Oh really? Yeah, because it was all going to be a better fit.
0: Uh huh. Well, it worked yeah. out, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, wild.
1: And um, yeah. So playing the Mabu hit, you know, the stage was on a riser. You know, maybe you know eighteen inches at the most. You know, uh-huh. and you know, saw the Dead Kennedys and all that Ooh. there. And so playing there was a pretty big deal, you know, just because you know so many bands played there. I'm pretty darn sure we were either the opening band or the middle band. We weren't headlining.
0: Really? So this show is a not It took a while to become here.
1: a headliner. Oh. Yeah, because there was, you know, a lot of uh, action. There were a lot of bands yeah. that were already, that came up. More, we're more post-punk, you know, and yeah. they were more the original punk band. So, you know, they got to headline.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. It's such a fun document of that era. There's, you know, songs like um, Charred Remains. remains there's it it brings new sort of layers plus it's fun to hear these songs in their in their infant stages before any production technique is you know put over the top of them they're just these hungry young punks or post-punks trying to make a sound you know it sounds so fun and fresh right yeah
1: and we kind of i personally wanted to you know, sort of break down the cool of the scene oh. where everyone's wearing the same black pants,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and people are leaning up against the wall, you know, and, you know, just kind of this coolness thing. I wanted everyone to start dancing more or whatever.
0: Yeah. Cool um, worked. yeah, Yeah, you did it. Okay. I want to ask you about some of the songs. First of all, I mean, one of your key tracks is White Sweater. sweater i'm sure you've been asked this a million times i don't know the answer is that based on a real story
1: it was based on a real dream of my real sister she has a real she had a real shag haircut and had a limp white sweater
0: okay but she didn't fall down an elevator shaft
1: no i dreamed that in my dream
0: oh sure i always
1: test myself okay um, that's the first lyric you're right and so in, and then the next one a line or two down it goes in my dream I watched my sister yeah. so I did have a real dream where I watched my sister fall okay. down an elevator shaft yeah
0: okay I didn't know if it I, you know artistic license I didn't know if this was a story you conjured up or it was someone else told you the story or whatever but um, yeah that's a classic I wanted to ask you about another one of your songs that I really like Undercover Kept And I like it because like you were saying about being post-punk, but wanting people to be able to dance too. And that's definitely what's going on in a song like that. Do you remember the creation of that song?
1: I kind of do.
0: Really? So
1: we were negotiating with getting signed, Mm. you know, it was, we had been successful enough with, um, never never on four, one, five independent records other labels were wanting to buy us from Howie. And so we had talked to Electra and there's a few other people we had, you know, talked with or, you know, um, had meetings with or whatever. And we ended up signing with Columbia because they wanted to take the whole label. So we weren't that happy with that. And so not one red cent makes sense to me. Oh, I undercover, it. we should have undercover kept, because there was a, having that big record label involved changed a lot of things for us. Not necessarily in the best ways, as far as our understanding of ourselves. All, suddenly, it was. I ended up seeing the record label as being more of a gatekeeper from our to get in between us and our fans. That makes sense because they saw this bigger audience they wanted us to appeal to. Mm. What we weren't trying to appeal to a bigger, you know, different audience. I mean, we wanted to find all the people who liked our sound and, and, you know, welcome them in Mm. because the people at our our gigs were from all over the map. You know, students at the college. You know. Uh, guys working jobs as uh, dishwashers, you know, trying to look mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. and go to punk shows, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, just anybody and everybody. Yeah. So.
0: Hmm. Was there, there an was, initial like burst of excitement like, whoa, a major label wants to sign us, we've really arrived. And then once the reality sets in of what that means and how the compromises you have to make, it becomes absolutely. less cool. Okay.
1: Yes. Absolutely. I remember my mom saying, well, what's going to change? And I said, oh, they're going to start in the back of Rolling Stone magazine. They'll start posting our tour schedule mm-hmm. because that's what major labels do.
0: I remember that. Yeah.
1: That no. never happened. No. No. Columbia never got our tours publicized no. in the back of Rolling Stone. I remember being so disappointed because that, that was <laughs> going to be like the test. Yeah. That's what was going to make it worthwhile is we would have that national presence when we were touring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In the book, I think it's uh, Chris Canab who mentions that you guys, no matter what, you guys are so in debt to Columbia, even still to this day, Never Say Never or Girl in Trouble or something could be put in the biggest movie in the world and you still wouldn't make any money off of it because of the debt that you owe because you never became what I guess Columbia thought they could turn you into. Does this ring true? Yeah, because of the
1: debt for recording and for making the videos, every, every um, bill for every makeup artist and craft services and all anything that was involved in the production of all that video, all that gets charged back. Plus all of those lunches wow. that the label takes you out to when you're touring. They charge that back to the label. Yeah. We yeah. didn't really realize yeah. that. You know what I mean? Oh, we're all going to this nice restaurant. Hell, let's order lobster kind of thing. You know, not necessarily, but you know what I'm saying.
0: Right, of course.
1: And, you know, I mean, all these promotion guys go out to dinner on your debt, you know. Yeah. But publishing, we kept our publishing. We own our publishing. We never sold it off. We,
2: no record label
1: owns half of it even. Okay. So, I mean, occasionally I'll get a really nice, um, Royalty check from
0: the publishing. Oh, good! Oh, well, still that's to this great. day, I'll get
1: like I think around Christmas, I got one out of nowhere, sixteen hundred dollars. What? Because it was like international. So when it's yeah. inter- like internationally, you don't get paid every three months. It's more like on a six-month thing. So uh-huh. international that includes you know all these places where we still get airplay in Germany and Australia, and New that Zealand, and um, Chile. You know, you know,
0: that's crazy. Yeah. We still get airplay internationally. Good. Good. Now I've I've been debating whether I want to go here. you talk. I, it makes me sort of ill and uncomfortable to talk about body image or image things, especially with you, because nowadays, especially it's not about that. It is so not about that. Someone like you would be the biggest star in the world at a time like now. But back then, it was a different time. Well,
1: and thank I think you, Lizzo, for some of that. Exactly. Well, she had guts, man. I, you know, I, when, I first, yeah. when she first came out, I mean, she's super talented. And, you know, what a great, you know, um, vision she had for herself and everything. But also the courage of that woman,
0: you know. Totally. Totally. And so I feel makes- like
1: I was more of the mind of. You know, oh, they're trying to, in the promo photos, I'm the one who stands in back so you can't actually see how large I am and all that kind of stuff. And I remember putting on makeup before I went into sound check, just to try to get a little bit of respect from the guys who worked in the club who were setting up the club for the night. Oh,
0: no. Because
1: it was rockers, you know, and all the, most of these rock clubs had these real, like, sort of poofy, Rock, Because, you know, it was hair metal and sure. all that kind yeah. of hair bands and
0: uh, whatever it, it, Guns N'
1: Roses and all the spiders were and all
0: yes. that. Yeah. So
1: those were all in the rock scene when we were there, too. And so as someone like me, they're like, who are you with? You know, yeah. no, you can't be in that. You're in the headlining <laughs> band, you know. <laughs>
0: well okay I, was, I don't want
1: possible this is wrecking our world right and yet, that's
0: little why our audience high, loved yes of course of course that's why your audience loved you for being you and I have more yeah. I want to say about that but I have one question about all of it and but in getting ready to talk to you the impression that I got is that once Columbia I don't know saw what you looked like or realized what they were dealing with or got it it hit them finally, they that's when they pull the promotional plug and they're like, oh, we're not going to back this band anymore. And my que- if that's true, my question is, how could they not have known ahead of time? They spent a lot of money on you and that label. Did they not know what they were buying? Did they think that they could change it somehow or make it different? That is not a question I can actually answer, I'm
1: sorry really? to say. Because it's- you would have thought... you know i mean they a lot a bunch of them came to our different shows when we would play new york or wherever to check us out the promotion people were there you know um i think they just were taking the pulse of what was going on because of mtv
0: yeah yeah
1: and so that did change things Mm -hmm. you couldn't just sort of hide the singer on the album cover a little bit and get away with it. Now she had to appear in video
0: yeah, or he,
1: um, she's definitely get the lion's share of the image consciousness.
0: Yeah, yeah. Of course. And, yeah.
1: I get emails or whatever through Instagram. I only have an Instagram account. Um, but I get all the time from people who are like, when I saw you for the first time on Never Say Never, I realized a round chick could get down, you know, <laughs> or I knew a round chick could write songs <laughs> and get on stage, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's kind of a racist thing, too. It's not just size. Oh, no, it
0: is. You're just too, you're yeah. more unique than they know what to do with. They don't know how to yeah. pass
1: And to you them. know, in what world is it not great to be unique? That's Absolutely. not a world I'm going to
0: be in. I absolutely right? agree. The reason I mentioned this too, is because last year I talked to Annabella Lewin from Bow Wow Wow, yes. and yes. I feel like you two had in a similar trajectory post the bands you were in. You put out your one solo album, Strange Language, and she put out, I think, one solo album right after Bow Wow Wow too. And it's like, there's an obvious star quality to the both of you, whether it's the looks, the image, the way you sing, the way you dance, the way you present yourself. Both are obvious stars standing out in front of everybody else. But once you left your bands and they thought, now we have this asset all to ourselves. Let's put a solo album around them. Let's put them out on tour. Let's put videos. It it fell apart for both of you. And I don't understand why that would be if you had such star, such like compelling star quality going in. Did you lose interest in your solo career or did they lose interest in you?
1: No, we didn't do... There was no video for anything on my
0: solo album. There was
1: no real radio push. I mean, I did do some interviews. I went around like maybe a 10 day tour of speaking to like, I went to LA and did like 10 or 12 interviews Mm -hmm. with people who had come to the office, you know, Columbia office. I did the same thing in New York again, maybe. 10 or 15 interviews but there wasn't like you know let's support her tour or you know anything like that they wanted to keep me it was like a situation women have faced many times i don't want you but i don't want else anybody else to have you
0: Ooh, perfectly said that's it that's exactly it yeah, yeah. did you tour at all with your solo album
1: well, it was pretty cute because we did an acoustic little tour of just the East Coast. And because uh-huh. um, we had no money to do this yeah. with. And, you know, I didn't exactly leave Romeo avoid rich and anything. And um, we did a train tour. Uh-huh. So my husband at the time was a bass player and we had a little practice amp for him. Uh-huh. And then a guitar playing friend of mine, you know, offered to mm-hmm. guitar for us. And then I did some spoken word gigs and then sometimes a spoken word entry before we did our songs. But we never did like a full band tour Mm -hmm. because having, you know, a whole drum set and, you know, all the things you need to make a full band sound weren't really available. We, you know, we did maybe eight dates, maybe 10 dates uh, by train.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) But but we opened
1: for like Jim Carroll. Or we had a couple really? of shows with Jim Carroll because he was doing a reading. Yeah. Thing, not when he was performing with his whole band. And he brought along a guitar player. They were doing kind of a poetry guitar
0: thing. That makes sense.
1: So we did a couple of dates with them. but And we weren't really in Americana. Mm, no. You know, even though... You know, I love playing with acoustic instruments and all that. I never, I, I feel like being a scene probably would have been more embracing if I had gone that direction, but that really, you know, as much as I love American music, it just wasn't what I was no, doing.
0: I agree. I was thinking that too. They should have, they should have put you on a UK tour and you could have gone around with Susie Sue or Kirsty McCall or some other wonderful female icon of the UK and, uh, reach the people that I think you're really meant for. I was listening back to your solo album, Stay Strong, and that first song, Out of the Gate, Bring It... It feels like you taking ownership of your story. Yes, that's what I'm imagining. Let me yes. tell you what's really going on from my perspective. It's all right here right. in this song. I was spitting distance from achieving my dreams, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you live with any yeah. kind of regret to this day? Do you or are you? I mean, you had such an accomplished career as an art teacher for so long, and now it's retired. You can do whatever you want. But do you ever think, you know, it didn't. I got close, but I didn't get close enough for something like that.
1: Well, I always wanted to play one of the Greek theaters.
0: Ooh, that was Like the Greek
1: tough. theater in Berkeley. Oh, man, I wanted to play that so bad. Because, you know, I saw the Talking Heads there. I saw Ooh. a number of acts there at the Greek theater. And, you know, that was the pinnacle to me. And in L.A., you know, it's even bigger theater than the one in Berkeley. I would have loved to have done that. But, you know, you can't go back. Yeah, And you got to live for now. Yeah. And some of my dreams have come true since my retirement. Like our carpenter is a guitar player and we bought, you know, this house for, you know, a price we could afford because it needed, you know, upkeep <laughs> and renovations and things. And so he is an old friend of my husband's who plays drums and is an audio engineer. So we have a cover band together well, I, now. We've I read
0: about- that somewhere.
1: 30 or 40 songs. Now we even have a name because I told them we have to find these have a name because I'm going to do these interviews and I'm going to mention it. Good. Okay. So last night we agreed on the Raton 3. I live in Raton. <laughs> and um, there's three of us. But yeah. we make a pretty mighty sound and we're doing songs that I love. Like yeah. we're doing... Um didn't want to have to do it by Eleven Spoonful, but sort of more right. in the style of Mama Cass's version, jazzy oh, and very boxy. Yeah. Beautiful version. And then we're doing uh black from Pearl Jam.
0: Pearl I Jam's mean, black. Who really? gave
1: me the right to do black? But I'm doing Own it. Own
0: it. Do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then we're also doing things, you know, um, don't go back to Rockville. Really? Yeah. Are there I enough mean, places Tom Petty, to perform? I love been doing Tom Petty. Mm, you got that. lucky, Gabe. Yes. I, you know, when I found you. Yes. So yes. anyway, we're kind of looking for a label. So if anybody wants to put on a
0: cover,
1: I don't want fun. to try to be a label now. Yeah. You know, um, uh-huh. it's really hard to do your own music. And that's the way you have to do it. Now, unless you have a small label, like we, Liberation Hall, you know, hiring a publicist to get us out there. Yeah. And, you know, coordinating with the record store day or whatever. So,
0: Ooh, fun. Well, maybe, so, maybe
1: record store day next year, or we'll have a covers album.
0: Ooh, if it happens, let me know. We'll talk again. I, I think a lot of that. people would
1: be interested in it because, you know, you do imbue as a vocalist, if you're good, you're imbuing your feelings and sharing them in a very real way. Touching people is what it's all about. Being authentic, they can hear the authenticity in your voice. Right. Do you mean it? I mean it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think being able to interpret these songs through, you know, all the history I've had and through my voice as it is now, which mm-hmm. friends have told me, you have a, your voice is deeper now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I am, you know, getting up there in years. In yeah. fact, I'm 69, April 29th. Really? Yeah. So I am getting wow. up there in years. <laughs>
0: a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Now, speaking of authenticity, I mean, one of the hallmarks of Romeo Void is sexy lyrics. You owning your sexuality in some cases. Yes. When I listen to a song like I Mean It, When i listen to a song like i mean it and i think for somebody who may have been body shamed like you were to own the your sexuality and just your your power you know no you're not you're not a weakling you're not you're not secondary in any of your songs you're the, in the power position you know what i mean and to talk to sing frankly about sex from that position as a woman nobody I mean, like I said, maybe the Susie Su's or the polystyrenes or something were doing stuff like that, but not many, not like you. Yeah.
1: Well, I I felt like, you know, I deserved it. And yeah. also, I have always felt pleasure very deeply. I have pretty much been a sensitive person. I felt emotion deeply as well. But, and my sexuality, I think I just decided I wanted If I wanted somebody, I was just waiting for a yes from them. And I was pretty happy to accept a no and move on. I didn't pine for anybody. And I was never exactly lacking either for having potential partners. So I ran with it and we all have something to give. Yeah. You know, and as far as being fat and all that, it's like, well, if you like softness in women, There's nobody but a fat woman who's going to give you the kind of softness. You know, I got the soft skin, the soft flesh, you know. That's
0: right. That's right. You want soft? I'm here, you know. You're there. And
1: plus, I think it's super sexy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm retired now from teaching, I can say this, but um, showing your pleasure and allowing your partner to see and experience your pleasure is very sexy.
0: It is. And I
1: learned that at a very young age. Mm-hmm. But if I went for it to get satisfied by a partner, mm-hmm. it just excited my partner all the more.
0: Mm-hmm. It absolutely don't be does. Shy. Yeah.
1: You know, don't be shy, you know, mm-hmm. he's... Mm-hmm. These uh, things work in, on a chemical level and yes. on a humanity level and on a scent level and endorphins yes. and all that. And we're not limited by society's image rules by any of that mm-hmm. if we don't allow it. Mm-hmm. And I think at a really young age, I just kind of went, you know, take it or leave it. This mm-hmm. is what
0: I am. That's great. One of the things, too, that seemed to come out in the book, um, after the book came out, I, I had Howie on here, too, to kind of talk about it and his whole career. He and other people at 415 that worked with him seemed to be enablers of you staying the way that you were. Didn't seem like anyone, at least at the beginning, on that side was asking you to change, asking you to be different. They were empowering you to be the artist you wanted to be. That's the impression I got.
1: Howie, that was for sure true.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, I would have to say that, you know, Columbia was not the same. No.
0: I remember them wanting
1: to send me to a fat
0: farm. Oh, screw those people. Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) I mean, it was kind of like, okay, she got the album recorded. Now she's got to go to the fat farm, right? You know, can we book her and send her to somewhere in Arizona for Mm -hmm. a month? You know, or, you know what I mean? And then I think about the experience of Kelly Clarkson. Mm -hmm. Remember when she got real skinny, I'm sure that was Columbia Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, we're going to send you to, you know, the equivalent of the Betty Ford center or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but you know, for fat people that skinny you up so we can have, so you can have a career. Yeah. And I just never, I mean, part of me always wonders, well, When you get to the age where I started making music, I was already in my 20s. I'd already been confronted about my unacceptable body size a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And it starts at home. I mean, my mom Mm -hmm. was taking me to doctors to try to boost my thyroid, even though I didn't have a non-functioning thyroid, but just to see if it would make my system go faster. So, you know, Mm -hmm. so those kind of things you know, were happening to me at like nine and 10 years old, 11 years old. And boy, the message was strong and clear. You are just not acceptable. Any medical intervention is worth it. So had I tried to be slim? Yes. And had I finally said, take it or leave it? Yes. And it was years in my past by the time I was making music. And I just felt like, you know, it's kind of like You
0: know, I came out as being unapologetic. You know, that's great. You were like, I don't apologize for
1: my size.
0: You shouldn't. And like I was saying earlier, now, like with people like Adele or Lizzo or whatever, you would be huge. You would be commended for the size and the voice and the ownership of your image and all of that. That's what makes people special today. And but they were not allowing people like you to be unique. Back then, they wanted to fit. Speaking of which, I was curious, when Girl in Trouble becomes a top 40 hit, I mean, are you suddenly, I don't remember, were you on like Solid Gold? Did you go on a tour? We with... were on American Bandstand. You were? I wondered. Okay.
1: Yes. And Night Flight. Yes, Night Flight. We were yes. on Night Flight. There's a great video of us on Night
0: Flight. Okay. I'll look but forward. it was
1: recorded at like the Comedy Store
0: uh-huh. in
1: Hollywood one afternoon. With, like, this audience that, you know, they gathered from the street Uh that day or something. But um, it was really funny because we had to, like, be ourselves, but, like, in the afternoon (laughs) in a comedy club. But, yeah, the funnest was doing American Bandstand
0: because Dick
1: Clark was fun.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was super respectful. We went on when New Edition.
0: I remember that episode. was on with us. Yes. You got to cool it down. I watched that. I, that's where I forgot you were on there. I had no idea. I saw that in real time. Wow. Yeah.
1: So, um, Dick Clark was very cool. And um, I made him laugh, which is Good. like one of my claims to fame in my entire life. I still want, like to watch the video of it. Uh-huh. I have it saved so I can watch it whenever I want. And when I laugh, his body kind of crumbles a little <laughs> bit because he's always experiencing what. I'm singing
3: with <laughs> such hilarity his body yes. like just wiggle Yes Once you come and join us drummer always gets buried behind I always feel sorry for the poor drummer Deborah Isle, please introduce me to your colleagues.
2: Alright, this is Peter Woods our guitar player.
3: Thank you Peter yes.
2: Aaron Smith on drums
3: Aaron, welcome aboard
2: Benjamin Bossy, saxophone Thank you sir Franks and Cabbage on base.
3: Thank you, Frank, very much. Did you two meet at an art institute somewhere? Right, San Francisco Art Institute. Are you all artists? Uh, I mean all, all, no, I mean all talented, but are you painting artists? Uh, no, I play saxophone exclusively. That's it. How did you run under these people? Are you a San Franciscan? Now I am. Yeah. It's totally biased. This, this sounds like the beginning of a book. Uh, Where we're from originally? North Carolina. Oh, that's a long way away. May I ask an impolite question too? First of all, somebody said, "What's the significance of the name of the group?" Could you clarify that for me?
2: Okay. Well, Romeo Void is like um, Fern Bars, you know. <laughs>
3: sure, it is. Uh, Clyde Schneer. Um,
2: yeah, the '80s single thing is Romeo Void.
3: You got it. Uh, now I want to ask you. Once you get the jacket. Where'd she get it? Uh, we made that for her, exclusively. Was that part of, is that part of your video, really?
2: Yeah, it's in our video.
3: <laughs> this is, you know, when you get done with this, if you just turn this way a moment, we could cut this part out, put a frame on it, and hang it on a wall somewhere. I mean, I used to, no, I literally used to do that with guys who painted scenery. I'd buy the pair of pants that had a lot of slop on it, and then put it in a great frame. People would come and say, isn't that an interesting thing, the significance and all of that, whatever. What does the future hold now for the group?
2: Oh, well, we're just going to keep going, you know. We're going to have a, <laughs> a record that's going
1: to do real good this year. It's
3: doing real good already.
1: Well, if we got on American Bandstand. Ah!
3: Like to... Ladies and gentlemen, oh! Romeo Boyd, follow me. Yeah, doesn't get
1: better than that, you know, for somebody who grew up watching American Bandstand.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: and Paul Revere and the Raiders. with that show? It's so neat to meet your baby where the action is.
0: I don't remember that. You one remember either. that show? Uh, Maybe it was uh, just in California. Wild! Oh, that's great. What kind of interactions? I mean, you go from we've talked about how great this live album from the Babouhey is, but you go from this little 250 seat punk club to the big time through American Bandstand. How did your life change? Was it, was it fun? Was it a lot of work? Did you meet your heroes? Tell us a story from that era.
1: Okay. Well, it was fun, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of drudgery involved too. Because when you tour and a lot of our success, I think has come from touring and hitting every college radio station.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, we
1: went so many college radio interviews You know, every time we toured and all that. So it wasn't just mainstream press. We were really, you know, hanging out with the college radio kids. And those are the people that were coming to all our shows and especially in all the small towns and stuff, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. college radio. So um, that was big. Um, But it was also fun to go and Beyond Richard Blade's show.
0: Oh, I love him! I just
3: talked and to him the recently. In studio
1: too. overlooking Hollywood uh-huh. and the big glass windows, and oh my God, that was a thrill, you know. Yeah. And actually, he's still really friendly with me. I've I did a couple of shows where I joined this kind of cover band from the 80s They're called the reflex and i did a couple of shows at one of his things where he got annabella and so i got mm-hmm. to meet annabella there nice so it changed my life you know from it, it, to yeah. this day yeah you know what yeah. access i had to things i would have to say it was really fun to meet cindy lopper
0: oh i could see that yeah
1: oh man and so that happened right after romeo Boyd broke up but i had another band i was sort of playing with so we got the opportunity for cindy lopper for three of her shows in the bay area oh it was wonderful and to meet her and talk to her you know that was a thrill and it was funny um i mean these are like i'm sort of telling on the artist a little bit not too much but um I got at the MTV Awards when Rocket won. Uh-huh. Remember Rocket Herbie Hancock? Herbie
0: Hancock, okay. of course.
1: So he was he was managed by the same guy I was, mm. David Rubinson. And so I went in the limo over to the MTV Awards with Herbie and his entourage. I didn't have an entourage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually I had borrowed one of the Weather Girls. Cause you know, they're from the Bay area. I'd borrowed one of their sequin dresses
0: Martha to wear
1: to the MTV awards. Cause I didn't really have anything award worthy, no you know, cause like, you know, I mean, Romeo yeah. Boyd, we're a rock band, you know,
0: right. but,
1: right. Um, but I was going to this event, so I better have something. And um, anyway, so I get to the MTV awards and I'm given a backstage pass, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all that. And I go backstage And I got to meet Daryl Hall. And you know, I loved his
0: voice. Me too. And,
1: you know, all the songs and just well, you know. And but what's funny is when we met, he said, Oh, it's nice to meet you. I'm somewhat of a fan. (laughs) What a what what an
0: odd thing to say.
2: It's okay. Well, I'm definitely a
1: fan of <laughs> yeah, yours.
0: I'm a fan. You know, sort I think of. I
1: just sort of skipped that, you know, and, and told him how <laughs> I admired him. But that was,
0: <laughs> what you that, was kind of crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. But
1: you know, for me, the excitement was meeting like um, Vanessa from Pylon. We played a couple of shows with Pylon and I loved Pylon and NASA meeting Vanessa was awesome. And also Lydia lunch
2: Yeah, meeting
1: Lydia lunch. And she, she called the whiskey go-go to ask for, um, to get in on the guest list. And I thought she was a friend of mine, like just taking a piss out of me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, come on. And I called her the name of my friend who I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Priscilla. I was like, Priscilla, come on. (laughs) You're not Lydia lunch. And she goes, I don't know who this Priscilla is, but this is really Lydia Lunch, and I want to be on your guests. Oh, and I was like, "Oh, maybe this is really Lydia Lunch calling the whiskey in the afternoon to get on the guest list." So Lydia came to our show, and then afterwards, we were opening for or playing with because sometimes you do two nights with the same band and you take turns. Uh huh. It might have been a night like that with a
0: teardrop explodes. Oh yeah, Julian Cope.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was like a real feather in our cap, you know, play this new band from England and, you know, Uh all the hype and all that. But it was really the new romantic scene, Mm -hmm. which, you know, like I said, we're a rock band, you know, so we weren't really trying to. And we're, you know, very California in our way, Mm -hmm. art student type, you know, Mm -hmm. cash. So Lydia and I get back to the hotel and around because everybody knew about the hotel, we were staying in the Tropicana was the place. And that was where a teardrop explode was staying. Any bands of a certain, not, you know, up there headlining huge clubs, but you know, the whiskey kind of clubs would stay there. There There's a restaurant there, you know, and all that. So we get back there and a bunch of a teardrop explodes. Fans were sitting around the pool. And they're completely in their new romantic finery, you know, the poofy blouses and the white makeup, you know, and the hairdos and the air of being English, you know, Uh all that. they're sitting around the pool at the Tropicana. And Lydia and I are cracking up and we go swimming in our T-shirts and panties. Uh You know, we're just like, no, we're getting in the pool. You guys can sit there. And do your thing being very fabulous. But you know, the people that actually get on the stage here, we're going to have some fun and go swimming.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) I love it. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Last question. I was curious about something. When I'm wondering, I was, of course, getting ready to listen to you, uh, to talk to you. I was listening back to all the music again, which I already knew pretty well. And Girl in Trouble trouble what hit me this time was how effective the echo is on that song the the benjamin's saxophone the echo put on the saxophone makes it sound richer and deeper like there's more going on even the echo on your vocals especially out of the gate oh yeah and i was curious if what the difference the song sounded like from the moment you guys wrote it as this plucky little post-punk band to a very glossy, pop-oriented, incredible track that's out sounding radio-friendly. When you heard the final thing and the, and David Kahn or whatever's pressing the echo button and it's so effective, are you thinking, this sounds great? Or are you thinking, this is so unlike us?
1: No, I think we were buying it.
0: Yeah. You were? Okay. I was. Because okay. I
1: like the sound of that. And I totally. grew up loving Leslie Gore, you Ooh, know, and part. and... You know, the Ronettes and everything. Yeah. I loved great production. Yeah. So, you know, it was actually, I bet you by that time it was more digital delay.
0: Oh, good point. Than just yeah, echo,
1: probably. echo. Yeah, because I remember when we bought our very own digital delay to take on tour with us, and then our sound man was able to reproduce that stuff mm-hmm. live. Oh, there where you go. Where Benjamin's echo would make the loops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was awesome. And he had a great time. And We often considered him our sixth member of the band because mm-hmm. he helped us create the sound we were able to create in the studio live. And in so, fact, so, for Girl so in, in trouble, trouble, when we toured with it, we had a guy who did the monitors and was a roadie who, who could play keyboards. Mm. So in the back, we had a rented keyboard at the monitor rack, uh-huh. and he would play keyboards from behind the curtain. because we didn't have keyboards on any other song but to really do a girl in trouble live you've got to have that keyboard part
0: Mm -hmm. you know that's true you know do you guys ever get uh, invited to play like 80s festivals i would think you would like i saw i did for
1: a while but you know what um now i'm not trying to do that yeah i never wanted to live in the past
0: oh okay
1: you know i mean i put out my own records you know where you know Uh, Nobody wants to hear, you know, stay strong (laughs) or bring it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: that's fine. You know, maybe someday Uh though, I still have a box of them here somewhere. (laughs) If you ever know anyone who wants a CD, just (laughs) let me know. I'll take
0: a CD of stay strong. I would love that. Oh, really? Um, Okay. Of course. Yeah. Um, I I still collect CDs. The reason I ask is because I've talking about the saxophone and that song and everything was reminding me of like the motels. And, um, Martha Davis, who's also been on here, such a lovely lady. And I saw them at a, one of those 80s, lost 80s thing. And they come out and they play their three songs. And yeah, that's it. And you guys could do that exact thing. And you don't have to, but it feels like an easy paycheck. It may not be. It may not be worth the trouble. I don't but, know.
1: There is not a Romeo Void anymore.
0: But the rest of the guy I mean, without Benjamin, I guess, but the other three guys wouldn't want to... And I
1: never wanted to just get a band behind me and call us Romeo Boyd. So even Uh, when I've done concerts where I'm trying to introduce my new songs and I do half a set of Romeo Boyd songs, I never call it Romeo Boyd. uh, I have never done that. And if a club puts an ad out, you know, I mean, and I'm just... You know, I've only played these smaller places. You know, and they try to call it Romeo Void. I will call them on it immediately. You cannot call it Romeo Void, okay? Because I have a, a lot of pride and mm. in the integrity of what is Romeo Void. You know, right. even though we changed drummers a few times, <laughs> um, you know, Romeo Void has that sound, and it. it's Frank yeah. and Peter and I and Benjamin.
0: Yeah. Okay. That is wondered.
1: the sound.
0: That it is definitely yours, and sound.
1: honestly, for all the work, is it really that big a paycheck?
0: I don't, that's why I meant you know, it. I because don't even know. You're
1: traveling and da, 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 da. I want to have a life in the now and be making things now,
0: you know, that's great, that's great, that's why I asked, I didn't know what the logistics were. That makes sense. Well, Deborah. I have wanted to okay. talk to you for years and I am so grateful you gave me some time. Thank you for chatting with me. I just find you wonderful and fascinating and turns out I, I was right. You are both those things. Thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate it, John, a lot. And um, on Instagram, I'm D period I Y a L L. Okay. So I posted that I was doing this interview with you. Really? Yeah. Cause once I looked up all the podcasts, And saw your history and your archives and everything. I was like, man, I'm talking to somebody who knows people and loves the music. And that's what I am. I'm somebody who loves music. And that was really one of the most thrilling things about putting out the live record is people got behind it. You know, the guy who recorded it, Terry Hammer got behind it. You know, the small label, Liberation Hall, got behind it. You know, soap is driven by people who love music and you can't help but be flattered by that and encouraged and, you know. Yes,
0: there's still an appetite. And I felt that Romeo way about
1: Romeo Boyd too, that they were yeah. doing me a favor of letting me do all this emoting and writing and creative with them, you know, because they brought the skills of the music.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: and allowed yeah, me that freedom. Match.
0: It was a perfect match. and uh, it's in some way you know it's interesting talking to you because in some ways those of us who are fans are like, well, why couldn't there have been more? or why can't it continue? And you talking about living in the now and it almost it, it sounds too, I think what's implied in what you're saying is keeping the Romeo void memory pristine. It's a, it, we have a, there's a great canon of albums and songs there. Let's not touch it. That was then, and we're so proud of what we did. And now we're all doing our own things now, and that can be separate, and it's fine. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Franks and Cabbage, the bass player, has a little site on SoundCloud, and he just sent me a link to a new song he posted two days ago.
0: Really? Okay. Sorrow Knows
1: How to Swim.
0: Ooh, I'll go look it up. Okay. It's good. good. Sorrow it's Knows beauty. How to Swim. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Frank
1: and Cabbage.
0: Okay. I'll do it. Yeah. all right thank you Deborah yes um,
1: be sure and send me the info so that I can post about it when it's gonna I will air because a lot of my fans on Instagram I mean there's still okay. fans out there who keep track and I always hashtag Romeo Void if I'm doing anything nice. music we yeah
0: okay do. help
1: you promote it I want to okay. have people listen to your show
0: thank you thank you very much I want people to listen to the new album that works
1: <laughs> and really enjoy it and remember what a Um, birth, it really reflects.
0: Absolutely. It doesn't
1: reflect something that's been finished and worked Mm -hmm. over. It's the genesis that you're listening to. That's the special part about it.
0: It totally is. That is it. Thank you. We'll talk to you very soon. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye-bye. All right. Wasn't that great? Deborah, I love talking to a lady like that who, like I said, owns who she is. She's not, she doesn't feel self-conscious. It's everyone else who has a problem. And I, this is going to sound crazy, but when she was talking about, like, her sex life and, you know, having, making love to a bigger woman, and that was kind of hot. Wasn't it kind of hot? Wow. Anyway, really, really cool lady. Now, once again, the new album, well, the Record Store Day release. So, it's out on the 22nd. Um, it's live from the Mabuhay Gardens. November 14th, 1980. We played that song, Charred Remains, in here. There's tons of great stuff on this album. It is so good. Now, I want to close it out. We talked about her one solo, well, her early first solo album, Strange Language, in here. But it didn't really lend itself to playing anything. So I wanted to play the title track from that album as we go out. So this is a nod to her one yeah, one and only major label uh, solo album from nineteen eighty five. Really interesting stuff. So that, what as I said, we were gonna do two weeks in a row of sort of American post punk, new wave, punk rock, power pop, whatever you want to call them, lead singers. Next week, I'm not entirely sure what we're gonna go with next week. I know I say that a lot. I'm pretty sure it's gonna be another producer episode, and it, if if it, if that's what we do, it's a big one. The guy's pretty epic, okay? So that's what's coming up next week, most likely. Yan, the man, had the week off. He was pretty busy this weekend. So we welcomed in the teddy bear, our most beloved friend, Ken Mills, the pod father, to produce this episode for us. So everyone give him some love. We're so grateful he did that. You guys know you can like our page on Facebook. You can send a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can sort of find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. All right. Um, I don't think anything else is coming out this week. Maybe we'll see what kind of schedule we have. Thanks, everybody. We love you.